are diving into this idea of celebrating the one who came. And, you know, this is an interesting weekend. We just, we are two days, three days removed from celebrating our national day of being able to give thanks, of being able to exercise the practice of gratitude. We are now, you may have already noticed, right? The, definitely the shopping has increased dramatically. It takes a pretty, I mean, steep spike on the day after, right? Of being grateful, we want more. Uh, but uh, we, we see the lights going up, right? We, we see the trees, we, see, we hear the songs, the Christmas carols, right? I mean, the, the, as a culture, we are starting to set our gaze towards Christmas. Um, we, we feel the chill of the winter upon us and the warm chocolate, the hot cocoa we like to have, the, you know, however we might, whatever speaks to us of Christmas, we start to see that emerge in our culture. And, you know, I, I'd like us to kind of consider this weekend as something of a foundation as we move into this, this season together. Um, I'd like to consider, to, to suggest that... Um, that what we're doing, what we're preparing is actually this Christmas season is celebrating the one who came to redeem. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus was born, and put it in plain, simple terms, and Jesus was born to purchase our freedom. He was born to purchase our freedom and increase dimensions of freedom in our lives. That, that is the, the biblical definition of redemption. That he was born to buy something for us, and we call that freedom. And that he came to do that for us. Now, redemption, by the way, comes from, and it's good for us to be aware of this, the, the idea of a redeemer. It comes from the Older Testament. Um, and it has this idea behind it that there is somebody who is, and it literally describes someone who enters the house of slavery pays the price for a slave, exits the house of slavery, and sets them free. That is the, when the scriptures speak of redemption, that's the picture that is used right there. And it's important for us to recognize that Jesus came for that very purpose, to do just that for any who would receive him. And not just a one-time thing where we step out and everything is just from that marking point where there's no need to revisit this. No, this is actually an ongoing walk of life where increasing dimensions of our lives are we start to experience real freedom. Now, this, the, the, the reality of Christmas is that he came to do this and yet he came, he came as one who made himself vulnerable to our choice. He didn't come with um, an enormous amount of force, power, demanding. No, he, he came as one swaddled in a manger, as a child, vulnerable. Which tells us something. That Jesus came this way because I think God allows us to make the choice. He allows us to make the choice. And this is a choice we make not just one time, we make it through the ups and downs of our lives. This, this idea of choosing to receive what he offers us. It's an incredibly important idea for us to recognize because it hits at the heart of the human struggle. See, we, we as a people, we, we don't have to be religious to know we love the redemptive story. Oh, we love it. 
We love it. We, we love to see it. We'll pay. We'll pay sometimes 10, maybe 12, maybe 15 if it's in like really good sound uh, and maybe even has, you know, glasses that make things three-dimensional, right? Like we'll go, we'll pay, we'll, we'll, why? Because we want, we love that story. We love it. We love the story of the person who overcomes insurmountable odds to climb up to the summit and to stand there at the climax celebrating what? Victory. Oh, sweet victory. We, there, that something in our soul it wants to do, it wants to applaud that. It, it, something inside of us is so inspired with that story. We love to see it in sports. We love to see it in sports so much so, some of us, many of us, we don't even care about sports. But then all of a sudden there's a team that's coming out of nowhere. They're going to do something historic that hasn't happened over a hundred years. And, you know, we all of a sudden, we're on, right? We're on, we're there. And those of you who maybe are on the other side of the field, I apologize, I'm sorry, it's a, maybe too soon, but we love, we love the story of relationships redeemed. We love the story of a person overcoming incredible odds. See, we revere this story. We celebrate that story of someone turning things around. And we, we get to that place, you know why? Because we want that story. There's not a person here that wouldn't desire at our core. I want that. I want that for myself. And that reality of our human condition and the struggle we're in can actually lead us to this place of mistakenly think, thinking that that redemption, that story, is accomplished um, when we decide to redeem ourselves. We can make the mistake and we can start thinking, well, this is up to me. This is up to me to turn this around. This is up to me to overcome. This is up to me to, uh, to persevere and break free. This is on me. We can make that mistake. And, you know, I was, uh, was reminded of this reality last night when I was making my way to church. I was actually, uh, usually I'm on a motorcycle. Uh, you know, I love my bike. I really do. And if you're concerned, I appreciate your prayers. I, <laughs> I, I, I receive them, you know, but, uh, but I love it. And, and it, it just feels free for me. There's something about it. But last night it was raining and I was sharing here and I thought, you know what, maybe don't take the risk, right? And, um, and so I took an Uber. I haven't done that in a while. It's been about a year now, and a long time, actually. Um, but I remember making my way in the car. It gets pick, picks me up in front of my house, making my way into it. I sit in the back seat and I'm just talking. And he, it's kind of, this, this kind of inevitably happens to me uh, more often than not. It's just kind of, where are you headed? I said, I'm going to work. He goes, work? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, that's, he was trying to encourage me. That's not bad. That's good. I said, no, I, I, I love my work. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. He goes, oh, wow, that's great. You know, and we kept talking and he, he, he did something that hasn't happened to me before. He said, um, sir. Now that, that line, right? <laughs> uh, 
that line, somehow I crossed that line. I'm now a sir, right? It's like, what just happened? Now, when did this, why did somebody warn me, right? It's like, I felt like, whoa. He goes, sir. Uh, I said, yes. He goes, uh, do you mind me asking, um, what do you do for a living? Now, he asked it that way. Other people ask it a different way. I, I said, well, I'm a pastor. And some people re- react differently. Some, you know, it's like, whoa, there's nothing scary. It's like a cannibal is in my car, right? It's like, <laughs> oh my. Others, others, it's intriguing. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know those existed still. Um, the, but this, this, this guy, um, you know, he goes, hey, uh, that, wow, that's amazing. What, what church do you go to? I said, you're driving me to it. Um, <laughs> it's called Cornerstone. And uh, he goes, man, I used to go to this Catholic church. And he starts sharing his story. And as he's sharing his story, I start to discover a couple things about him. See, he's a 22-year-old man who has a 15-month-old daughter. And he and his girlfriend are trying to figure things out. He is working extremely hard to make ends meet, to figure out what his future is going to look like, how he's going to provide for the daughter he loves. Clearly, I saw it on his face. Oh, he loved her. Loved her mother. And as he's sharing to me, you know, he was just talking. We may have these moments, right, where we don't actually talk about things, but then once we start talking about them, we start realizing, whoa, I haven't really shared this. And then we started to discover emotions we didn't know were there. Well, this is kind of what was happening in the car on the way to church. And he comes to this moment where he expresses, he basically says this. He, he, he said, this is all overwhelming me. Because what he, what he decided, he, he had come to the realization, he goes, you know what? Actually, now that I'm talking about it, I'm realizing the reason I stopped going to church is because I'm now so busy trying to take care of my responsibilities, I don't have time anymore. And I'm just trying to figure this out. And then he said it. He says, this He said, this is all overwhelming. I'm just trying really hard not to be crushed by how hard this is. And I thought, man, this guy, because you know what I heard him saying? He's saying, I'm trying to do this on my own, and I'm afraid it's starting to defeat me. And this man was, um, in a way, you know what? I think this Uber driver, I think he was speaking for the vast majority of us. How about you? So I think he was expressing the very cry of the human heart. I want that story. I'm trying hard. I just don't know if I could, uh, I could do this on my own. And perhaps because that's the truth, because that is what the human struggle is like, I most appreciate this season we're about to enter because, you know, Jesus steps right into the reality of this struggle we are in. And he does so in a way He does so in a way that does not hide him, nor is he one who kind of sweeps things under the rug. He is not naive to the reality, the grittiness of our condition. And yet at the same time, he is able to give us an offer of hope that no struggle can overshadow. 
This is Christmas. This is the gift, the beauty of what we are about to celebrate together. That he came as one who had held both intention, the real human pain and the real life-giving hope that only God can give. Both. He came as a child grabbing both, hiding from neither. And it, it was an amazing thing to see. In fact, this is not something that was just kind of out of, in a vacuum. This is something that the people, the Israelites were foreseeing for some time. Isaiah ends up foretelling, some of us may or may not know this, he ends up foretelling the coming of Jesus about 700 years in advance. And he says it to a group of people who, end, who had just experienced political upheaval. They had just been conquered. Their treasures had been pillaged. Their situation had been devastated. And they are a people on the backside of this, now trying to figure out how they are going to move forward and survive. They are a people. He is speaking into a national sense that their survival on the, at the end of the day and the final analysis, what they had come to the conclusion of, it's up to them to pick themselves up and move forward. And they had come to the conclusion that this had happened because, well, if God is aware, he is incapable of doing anything about it. That is, if he even is aware, we get the sense is what they were thinking. Honestly, we're the last thing on his mind. And into that environment, Isaiah is given a message. A message that we will, as we read it, we'll see so clearly to who he was pointing but it was in that context when they are overthrown and conquered in a political system that is corrupt, is taking and not giving anything. Isaiah says this. If you open up your handout, it's in Isaiah 9 at the bottom right. He says, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, that word son, actually, in the Older Testament, was more referring to the idea of a king. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. It's an interesting usage of words. There is a political system that will be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called, and look at, look at these majestic names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, we would say, the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know what Isaiah is saying to them? He's saying to them, you who think you're forgotten by God, no, I want you to understand, you are not, you're far from it. In fact, he sees exactly the situation you're in. And he is going to send you a leader. Well, it is the leader we all crave. This, by the way, in our heart of hearts, is who we measure every, every leader by. It is the leader we crave. It is why no matter what person is in what position, we will inevitably be disappointed because this is who we crave. The one who is a wonderful counselor. The one who is known as a mighty God. 
powerful and able. An everlasting what? What is that term? Father. Not one who abandons, not one who leaves, but one who loves. He is a prince of peace. This is Isaiah's way of telling them, you have no idea the good thing God is going to bring about in your midst. No, God is well aware, and he is going to send somebody to give you the very thing you most desire. It's an amazing promise. This is the promise of the child who would be born, who would set up a different type of kingdom that would begin in humble ways and would extend without any end. Every other, (laughs) and boy, it is odd to say this, when we are living in the most powerful and wealthy nation, But the scriptures are clear. Every other kingdom will rise and fall except one. The one who comes to redeem. He says this promise, this promise, by the way, is not completely fulfilled. It's still in our future. If it was in their future 700 years in advance, the coming of Jesus was the beginning of this fulfillment. But it was yet, it is yet to come. It is something even, this is a promise given to all of us. And maybe in a time of year such as this, where there's so much tension in the air, it is good to be reminded that it is this promise to come. And it's not meant to be irrelevant to the present day. No, in fact, if this was going to be fulfilled, you know what Isaiah says? He holds this amazing hope for us while holding on to the reality of the human condition. Look at Isaiah 53. This is what this child would have to walk through. If he was going to give us this, which he will, he needed to walk through the excruciating reality of the human condition. Verse 1, look at this. Let's read this together. Who who has believed what he has heard from us? It's poetic. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the child, grew up before him like a young plant. And look at the, the environment. Like a root out of dry ground. It's hostile environment. It's not really ready to nourish, but he grew there. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah is basically saying this leader, this amazing, beautiful person won't have the outward beauty we are accustomed to associating with great people. That's what he's saying. He he came as one who is ordinary. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not, Isaiah says. You know what this is telling us? He's saying this child who is going to be the prince of peace will not be shielded from the realities of the the brokenness, of the injustice, of the pain of what it's like to live this life. How is He continues, he goes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was, listen, Isaiah says, He was pierced for whose? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says. 
we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah, in a sense, is describing what we would now understand to be the picture of the cross. And it, it, it's difficult for us, listen, it's difficult for us to fully appreciate the significance of the one who came as a child if we at the same time separate him from what he came to do on Easter. Christmas beauty has to be seen on the backdrop of what is done on Easter, on Good Friday. And everything he's, Isaiah is essentially saying, he, he came as an ordinary man, not venerated for his beauty or his majestic appearance. In fact, he was, re, he was well acquainted with what it's like to be rejected. He was a man of grief and sorrow, but it wasn't his own that he was carrying. He was carrying the sorrow of humanity on his own life. The pain of what it's like. He carried it. And Isaiah says, now we, we have wandered, we have gone our own way, but you know what? God didn't lay on us this payment. He laid it on him. <laughs> if we could put it this way, if he came to give us freedom, Isaiah is saying that um, the purchase price of our freedom is the very blood of the one who came as a tender child. It's the very blood of Jesus. That's the price. He comes into the house, he says, here's the price. I want all of them. All of them? Yes, for, for God so loved the world. I want all of them. And then he leaves us the choice. Will we walk out with him or not? That, that's the beauty of Christmas. And this, this idea, I think it, it could impress a couple things upon us. Now, in the remaining minutes we have here, I'd like us to consider just, just three thoughts that I think are worthy of our um, thinking about. Firstly, our freedom. Listen, you know what this is telling us? Our freedom is contingent on our willingness to embrace His price for us. That our freedom is contingent on our willingness to embrace the price he paid for it. And this is where the rubber meets the road. See, this is where the story of redemption kind of takes a turn. It takes a turn because we, we love the montage of the person who says, I can't do it. And then there's this montage, right? They go and they go to the gym and they exercise and they train and they sweat it out. And then they end up performing something at the end. And maybe it's a, a skill and musical talent. Maybe it's an instrument. Maybe it's a craft. Maybe it's an athletic feat. And what do they do? They come to that. And what happens at the end? They do something amazing, right? That's what happens. And yet what, what Isaiah is telling us is not so fast. That before that can happen, something, there's a preliminary step. We have to acknowledge, this, this is what, why the rubber meets the road for us. He came to give us freedom, yes. But in order to receive this freedom, you know what it has to mean? It has to mean that we concede a couple things. And that concession, it, for some of us, might feel like a, a, a slight death of sorts. So, it, you know what? It means we can't purchase our own freedom. 
I mean, I wish I could say we can. But it means we have to concede. We can't break free from our own struggles, points of addiction, or weaknesses by ourselves. Now, some of us, we might be in a season where that's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you all the way. Others of us, we're doing so well in life. That concession, it's just too hard to make. And that's where it gets difficult. But that is, the irony is, the minute we say, I cannot, God says, don't worry, I can. That's the irony. That, that is where things kind of rub us. Is the minute we declare our need, the minute we declare, listen, I will be first honest with myself and then I will be honest with you, God. I am trying, but this is actually, you know, the man in the Uber car was actually verbalizing what Jesus invites us into. That the... <laughs> It is in that place when we admit our lack that we find our strength. There, in that place, we find that Jesus actually offers us, see, a beautiful gift because he, listen, he receives us just as we are. He approaches us right where we are. He doesn't pretend we're better than we are. He doesn't shame who we are. He says, I give myself for who you are. That is what he does. And he joyfully extends a gracious embrace. It is a remarkable thing. And if that's the case, well, we would discover if that is the first place is to acknowledge, I can't buy what you came to purchase for me. I can't set myself free in areas of my life. I can't fix this by myself. I can't overcome this by myself. I can't figure this out without you. That place ends up unlocking something for us. It is a pathway to discover that this freedom increases as we rely on His grace to persevere in light of our weaknesses. It increases the more we acknowledge um, our need for Him. Check, check out this passage in Hebrews uh, 4, 15 and 16. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now, time out. Check. Think, let's think about this. We have one who has been tempted in every way as we have been. You know what this means? There is not one point in which we could say, God, you simply don't understand. You don't. Because what we're being told is that the one who came as a child was fully human. And he experienced every single level of what it's like. And yet what made him remarkable, what does he say? He was yet without sin. He was the only one who could ever say he didn't cross the line. None of us could ever say that. I hope none of us think we can say that. Right? Because all of us, all of us know what it's like. We don't want to. But we do. He says, you know what? He doesn't ridicule us for it. The psalmist says, God, you know my frame that I am made but by dust. See, what the picture of the scriptures represent of God is a kind, gentle God. 
What does he say? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It it is Jesus who comes and he will not abandon us. It is Jesus who will not be shocked by our weaknesses or our propensity to fall back into things. He won't be shocked by our degree of struggle or our internal battle to not quit. He will not be surprised. He will not be put off by the areas that we would rather nobody else would know about. Those things do not not simply do not push him away. He, in fact, says, they don't push me away. In fact, I stepped right into them. I stepped right into the mess. And I'm right here. And this grace that is available, you know what? He is the one who meets us right where we are. And when we call out to him, you know what he does? He is the one. He is the one who empowers us to move forward. He is the one who picks us up. He is the one who whispers life-giving hope into our soul. He is the one who helps us walk through the real struggle of figuring this life out and being able to overcome. We start to see that the more we rely on his grace, the more we discover. Listen, we discover and we get to sing the beautiful song. Listen, I am not who I want to be. Oh, but thank you. I am not who I once was. I am no longer who I once was. I mean, I'm not there yet, right? And some of us, you might think, well, I'm close, I'm close. Uh, (laughs) And that's okay. Some of you, it's like a long way to go. And you know what? I'm right there with you. But we start to be redefined. This is Redemption's story. Weakness doesn't dominate or define. Struggle doesn't dominate or define. Failure doesn't dominate or define. You know what dominates and defines? The beautiful grace of God that ends up healing our soul, giving us strength and power and courage. And is able to break us out of certain habits and able to help us establish new ways of living. And is able to, over the long arc of life, we are able to see it wasn't by my strength alone that I made progress. Oh, but progress has been made. Progress has been made. And if this continues, the trajectory of this continues, well, this is, this is going to have a great, great, great destination. It will be a beautiful ending. One we celebrate together. Because he not only does this for us alone, he also invites us freedom. Look, it gives us an opportunity to build a hope-filled future. At the end of the day, it is an ongoing work he longs to do with a hope-filled future. Isaiah began with the child who would establish something that is permanent and will never go away. And he says, listen, this is the end result. Human history is on this trajectory. And it's going to be good. And we get to be a part of building that future. We. We, any who call on his name. We who receive his freedom. We who rely on his grace. We get to then become, you know what, yes, Cracked vessels, broken instruments, things out of tune, things that are flawed, things that are imperfect. Yes, all of that is true. But then we get to become the ones who get to build a hope-filled future, not just for ourselves, but for others all around us. In a season like this, Christmas has a unique way of softening people's hearts, making them open 
we made our way down Dearborn. And I had invited him to our gathering, come at 7 or maybe tomorrow at 9, 10.30 or 12. I said, if you do, please come say hi. And he says, yeah, I think I will. And he says, pull off the side, he says, hey, can you? Um... And I knew what he was asking. So I said, yeah, definitely. He was asking, can you pray for me? I said, absolutely. Now, I love to do that. So I saw that opening and I jumped right in, you know. But he goes, can you do it right now? <laughs> I said, sure. And he goes, you know, he sit there. What am I going to pray for this man? What would you pray for this man? Huh. So I was thinking. God, would you remind him that you are fully aware of his situation? That you are God. He doesn't have to be. Would you also remind him that you love him? You have a good plan for him. That you're able to empower him and give him courage to make the decisions he needs to make. I pray for your blessing over him, his daughter, his girlfriend, his family. I pray that you would redeem his life. Give him a beautiful future. In Jesus' name. That, that privileged place, that sacred ground, <laughs> he wants all of us to occupy that place. All of us. In our relationships, he wants us to be those messengers. In our working relationships, he wants us to be that person, that relationship, that messenger. In our own struggles, he wants us to be reminded, God has not forgotten you. He's so well aware of you. He is able to empower you and give you courage. He is able to set you free, increasingly so. This need not define you. You can get back up. In our relationships, he, he is the one who wants us to be the ones who extend forgiveness and grace and patience and kindness because that is exactly what we receive from him. He's the one. He's the one who longs to redeem every aspect of our lives, our neighborhoods, our families, our communities, every aspect, he's the one. Now in a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and our closing song. We're going to actually end our service a little differently than we might. We're, we're actually ending it a little bit, I, I would say, a little bit more raw because of the nature of what we're actually talking about. We're going to have this song a little differently. And so um, it's meant to be received as a prayer for us, as footprints for us to be able to step into and say, yes, I, I, I want that word for myself. But I'm going to pray, ask for God's blessing, and then uh, we'll move into the remainder of our time together. Lord, I thank you that you, you, <laughs> you are the hero of our lives. And you invite us, God, you invite us to call upon you to receive your grace in our lives. I thank you that you came as one longing to do what no one else could do for us, what we could never do for ourselves. You long to give us freedom in our soul. You long to increase your grace and your joy in our lives. And I thank you, God, you, you, ch you choose to use us as your messengers. Oh, would your message ring loud? Would your message ring true 
through our lives this Christmas season. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.